Okay, boys and girls, it's now time for Treks in Sci-Fi. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi. This is show number 27. It's February 19th, 2006, and boy, is it cold outside where I'm at. I think we're going to have a good show this week, a little next generation action, along with the usual uh, collectible talk, so here we go. Treks in Sci-Fi. I actually saw automobiles. Often a prime ingredient in teenage mating rituals. I bet he knows more about Dixon Hill than I do. Stand by to receive our transmission. Hello again, this is Rico, and we're going to be doing show number 27 right now, like I said at the opening. In case anyone missed it, I did put up a minicast this past week uh, on Wednesday. I'm going to try to do that for the next few weeks, just uh, try to break up the show a little bit. I'm going to try to do more of the email discussions there. I'll probably still include a few on this show and other little topics that pop up during the week that I want to get out that will be for uh, the Wednesday uh, show, which is probably going to end up being more like a half hour instead of an hour show like the normal one. The main topic for later on in this uh, podcast for this week is going to be a Next Generation episode. It's called the Good... but Excuse me. It's called the Big Goodbye. This was in this first season, I think about midway in the first season. I thought this would be kind of a fun episode to look at because... It's a little different. It's it's not uh, there's not a huge big sort of conflict going on with aliens, although there's some aliens involved in this that you don't really see. But uh, I thought this episode is a little is a little unusual in the fact that the uh, crew, you know, Picard and Data and Doctor Crusher and another crewman go onto the holodeck, and this is one of the first episodes in the Next Generation. I think the first where they show what the holodeck in in the next generation era in time on the Enterprise then can do. But I don't want to get into that discussion too much right now. I'll save that for, uh, you know, in about five, five, ten minutes in the show after I talk about a few other points of interest. You're listening to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast, starring my friend Rico. Oh, before before I get too far along, I just want to also, as usual, uh, thank uh, everyone for uh, downloading and listening to this podcast. Whether you're new, an older listener, not a, by, by age, I mean, but if you've been listening for uh, a lot of the previous podcasts, welcome back. Welcome to the new folks. This, uh, you know, there there seem to be more and more podcast directories out there. I keep getting emails from people, hey, we want to add you to our directory. There's a Yahoo podcast directory. They're the classic ones, Podcast Pickle, Podcast Alley. Oh, if anyone out there would like to help me out, I'd appreciate any votes for Podcast Alley for this month. I'm doing pretty good, I think, this month. Uh, but again, you can find a link to that if you go to the podcast link on the main website, www.treksf.com. On the right-hand side, there's a direct link to the Podcast Alley uh, listing for this show, and then you can vote directly there, and you just got to... Submit your email, and then they send you a little confirmation email back. Uh, 
But yeah, there's a lot of different uh, directories out there for podcasts and, and, and more podcasts every day. And I know it's more and more difficult to find time to listen to these things with so many coming out. I know I've, uh, I, I usually try a new new podcast every few weeks, and then I try it for a little while. And if I like it, I keep listening. And if I don't, I, I drop it, of course. Uh, tried a few new ones lately. Nothing new that's really caught my fancy completely. Um, some of them are, are early starting stages of podcasts, but they uh, we'll see how those go. There's uh, there's also limited time, of course. I, I probably have my drive time overloaded with uh, more podcasts than I care to uh, or that I have time to listen to, I should say. So, But enough about that. Uh, I've had a pretty good week. It was a very busy work week for me. Kind of sore, actually, today. I did a lot of uh, kind of physical moving things around yesterday in my house and, and just kind of tired out. So, yeah, it's just... Uh, it doesn't help that it's really cold out doing these kind of things where I live in, in, in this wonderful, you know, winter wonderland of Michigan in the United States. It uh, We've had a really tough uh, past couple of days. It's been a big cold snap here. We've really had a pretty mild winter. It hasn't been that cold. We haven't got a huge amount of snow, really. But the last couple of days have been bitter, bitterly cold. It's been around zero uh, or, or less at night, zero Fahrenheit, I should say. And that's... Uh, that's too cold. That's colder than I like it. So, uh, But it's good to sit back right now and do this show and talk to uh, everyone out there who's listening. Okay, I'd like to, uh, like to mention that I, I got a lot of really good feedback on last week's podcast on the Star Wars film. And I know, you know, you take a film like Star Wars and look at it on a science fiction podcast, and that, that's going to be usually pretty popular. There are still a few people that aren't too into Star Wars that would rather be Star Trek uh, or hearing me talk about that. When I originally started this podcast, I didn't really think or plan on having each episode or each podcast talk only really mainly about Star Trek. I wanted to break it up a bit, and I've been trying to do that over the past month or two. You know, do a Star Trek episode, do something a little different, then do another episode. It's still going to be, again, primarily Star Trek, but I, I do want to break it up occasionally. I hope people are enjoying that. I, I find it enjoyable to do something a little different um, each week, and it uh, it keeps things interesting for me. So I hopefully we'll keep that uh, trend going. Uh, one thing I know that I'm going to be doing in the future, coming the next couple of months, is is springtime and summer usually bring a whole slew of science fiction and excuse me science fiction and fantasy films that i'll be talking about and reviewing as as part of the podcast so that'll be fun that'll be good to uh, listen to that i'm gonna mention uh or go through just a couple of brief emails now so we'll do that uh next incoming transmission captain Okay, the uh, the first email I wanted to mention, and I'm not going to read this one completely because it's rather long, but I just wanted to mention it and say hi to uh, Jenny who wrote, uh, she says, uh, Hi Rico, I've been an eager listener for several months now. Thought I would drop a line to let you know how much I enjoy the show. I've even got a friend hooked on uh, Treks and Sci-Fi. We, when we work together in mark- marketing... And we listen to your show is one way we get through the day. Wow, I that's that's pretty impressive that I <laughs> that I help somebody get through the day. I, I you know that's that's nice. Uh, I appreciate that. We shoot each other short emails during the breaks to let one another when a new show has been downloaded in iTunes. Uh, 
Now, of course, I'm sure you're doing this when you get a break at your work. You're not you're not letting it interfere with your your marketing job, Jenny. So, said she's been a trekker since uh, she was a little girl. My parents were trekkies who introduced me to the genre through the original series reruns. I can remember staying up late with my dad to watch Kirk and crew after the ten o'clock news. He used to call me his space cadet. Uh, yeah, I, I remember that. I, my parents weren't really into science fiction and Star Trek. I, I tended to just, my brother and I were, were primarily the ones into it. So that, that wasn't something that I was really familiar with. But I but I do remember many, uh, many times sitting up with him watching science fiction films, watching Star Trek episodes and that. So I can completely understand that. And, and she goes on to talk about, uh, she's not really a convention goer. But she is a gamer, and she's looking forward to the Star Trek Online game. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm not really, really sure how far along they are on that game yet. I, I see little artwork, and I see bits of it. I, the last I think I've read of anything definitive on that uh, Star Trek Online game is is they're shooting for something like 2007, I believe. I know when it was announced, that, that game was announced maybe a, two years ago now, maybe a year and a half at least. I know they announced it way, way, way before they even really got going on it. I think, and, and it, you know, it was going to be like a three or four year development cycle. So, you know, these games take a huge amount of of effort, and it's, uh, but it's it it is seeming like there are things moving along on it. I posted a few things on the forum recently. They do have some new artwork and development like sketches that they've put up, and it's looking pretty interesting. I think Star Trek could make a good online. Uh, you know, MMO type game if, if it's done well. It's going to have to be quite a bit different than your typical MMO, but I, I think it, it can be done. I, I'm a little bit of afraid just because of the whole what happened with Star Wars and that property, Star Wars Galaxies. And I, you know, I, I, tie, you know, even though, blah, slurring my words this morning, it's, it's really difficult, difficult to take a, a certain property like Star Wars or Star Trek, I think, and turn it into a good game or a good, you know, in this case, an MMO. Mainly because you've got so much history and so many people out there who who understand and know that universe. To translate that into a game, you're, you're really constrained by what's happened in the past, you know, in movies and the television shows that have gone on. So it's going to be difficult to please all those people. I, you know, I personally, if I was making a game, even though you know I really, of course, love Star Trek, I like Star Wars and all that, I don't think I'd take an existing property. I, I think, yeah, you're going to gain a lot of people initially that are going to try it just based on the property, but you are also setting yourself up for a huge amount of, uh, you know, I, I should say, a lot of a lot of people looking at you really, really closely and what you come up with. So that is a, a hard uh, a hard thing to do, but. I really appreciate your uh, your email, Jenny. Thanks, uh, and, and keep listening there when you're at work in marketing. Okay, we got uh, another email from a gentleman named uh, John. John Weiss uh, says, Rico, I too am a sci-fi fan and a TOS indulger. The, he has the entire series on DVD. The sets aren't cheesy, however. He says they are in period. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I mean, occasionally it looks a little more cheesy than... Uh, that I might like, but it it fits the show, you know, and we've all gotten used to it also. He says he also enjoys movies like Earth vs. the Flying Saucers and, and other Ray Harryhausen uh, creations. The older stories seem to concentrate more on the story than the special effects. Yeah, I'd, uh, and great work on the pods, he calls it. Oh, he's, uh, 
he's uh, talking about Ray Harryhausen. I'm a, I'm a really large, or large, excuse me. That's probably not the right word. I'm a uh, big fan of Harryhausen's work. I, I think I have most of his Sinbad movies and Clash of the Titans on DVD. I, re- I really enjoy that. I mean, everything the, these days has gone CGI with a lot of that stuff, and, and stop motion is still, you know, Tim Burton, I think, is, is still doing it, you know, with that movie The Corpse Bride and Nightmare Before Christmas and all, but um, it's uh, it's not really out there as much as it used to be. But I, there's something kind of a, has sort of a romantic swashbuckling flair to it, those um, Sinbad movies. I think I would read somewhere also that, Although I think it may have been uh, dropped or canceled, but I thought that they were going to do another Sinbad film, maybe with Keanu Reeves from The Matrix. I think he was going to play the new Sinbad in a movie, but uh, I, I think I also read that that got canned for some reason. I'm not sure. If anyone else out there and knows any more about that, shoot me an email at treksf at gmail.com and let me know. But thanks for, uh, for your e- email, John. Okay, the, uh, the last... Uh, email it's not really that it's a, it's an audio comment from my friend uh, who i've had on the podcast a few times kenny and this is uh kenny's uh comments about uh, the last uh, star wars podcast from last week so uh listen to this hey rico it's kenny in california just wanted to thank you for the awesome star wars podcast last week i know this is mainly a star trek podcast but uh it's a nice change of pace hopefully you'll continue to uh, review the other movies because the next one, Empire Strikes Back, in my opinion, is the best Star Wars movie ever. Um, keep up the great work. Thanks. Bye. Thanks a lot for uh, for that comment, Kenny. Uh, yes, I do plan on looking at the other Star Wars films in the series. The Empire Strikes Back will uh, will definitely be looked at. That is my favorite of the movies also. I think it has a lot of good storytelling and character uh, elements in it that uh, maybe some of the other especially the prequels could have used uh, so that that'll definitely I'll definitely be looking at that in Return of the Jedi at some point in the future so thanks for your comments there Kenny and I think uh, I think with that we're going to move right along into the Star Trek uh, next generation episode the big goodbye and here is the 32nd audio preview for that episode listen up Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. Ready for San Francisco, Mr. Whalen? Captain Picard visits the holodeck for an adventure to the past. Something's gone wrong. Everyone inside could vanish. A mysterious malfunction threatens their journey. This is not a game. Give me the gun. Trapping them in a real-life murder mystery. Shall I kill him? No. Kill the woman. On Star Trek The Next Generation. Okay, the Next Generation episode, The Big Goodbye. This was written by uh, one of the staff writers at the time named uh, Tracy Torme, who's worked on a lot of television projects. He uh, has stated that the initial idea for this episode, for The Big Goodbye, came from Gene Roddenberry. The, you know, the main thrust of this episode is this experience of this Dixon Hill character that Captain Picard... Uh, likes to read about on the holodeck. Now, the holodeck is an interesting idea for the Enterprise. Gene Roddenberry originally had the idea of the hol- a holodeck-type place for the original series, but of course budgetary and set reasons and money, basically money, 
prevented them from doing anything like that. But when they when it came time for the animated Star Trek series, there is an episode on there where the holodeck um, sort of also flips out and goes a little uh, crazy when the Enterprise passes through. I think it's some kind of cloud in space. This is one of the animated episodes. And I think it's Sulu, Spock, and Uhura who are trapped at that time on the holodeck, and it goes through all kinds of different weather cycles and different things happen there. But So the, the genesis and the original ideas of the holodeck were were seeded a long time ago in Star Trek, and just when it came time for the next generation, they decided, you know, hey, we're going to start using this. And some people, some fans and other people eventually becomes, you know, after the seventh season and especially some of the other Star Trek series, that the holodeck was an overused piece of, uh, you know, equipment used for too many episodes, too many stories, um, especially things like, you know, they did those Barkley episodes uh, in The Next Generation. Now, I kind of disagree. I mean, I guess by the end of it all, with all the episodes of Star Trek that have come and gone now, that maybe, yeah, maybe they did do too many episodes with, you know, involving the holodeck. But at this time, when they did the big goodbye, that wasn't the case. You know, this was really the first real, real attempt to show what the holodeck could do. Now that, you know, the idea behind the holodeck is that it, it through a, a series of uh, light transmitters and force fields and transporter mechanisms and a lot of different little technology Items it is able to create out of you know all this information and data that's in the computer banks a realistic setting, realistic characters for for crew people to interact with, you know, for recreation primarily. And when I was you know looking back at this episode yesterday, gathering some audio clips, you know, and I was starting to think about what I wanted to say, you know, the this episode really leads into the whole idea of a virtual world, you know, MMO games that. You know, even though they're relatively uh, certainly nothing like a, a holodeck type adventure, but in essence, it's the same kind of thing. You know, you're immersing yourself into some kind of a fantasy world. You have a character that is representing you there, and you interact with uh, with actually one thing the holodeck didn't do, except if you went to the holodeck with other people that were real. You're not really interacting with other people, a couple people, but most of the people that are created in the holodeck are computer representations. So you know this uh, this idea, and this happened more in in the Barclay episodes of getting lost in a virtual world as being sort of a negative. You know, you it's good for a little fun and a little recreation up to a limit, but you know certain people may not be able to know when to stop. Basically, and it's uh, I think I've mentioned a few times on this on this podcast before I play some online games like World of Warcraft and that and I know and in, in, in this has pretty much widely been spread in the news and in the media that these games can sort of take over certain you know certain personalities and certain lives of people out there that don't really know when to quit and know when to stop and I didn't at the beginning of uh, discussing the big goodbye here I didn't want to get into a huge philosophical uh, discussion, but I did think it was worth mentioning before we get into it, and I'll probably mention it a few more times during uh, talking about this episode. That it, you know, I, I think it's it's a fun little device, the holodeck, and, and MMO and computer games and video games are a fun little diversion. But you still need to do your business. You know, if you're in school, you still need to stick and do your do your homework, do you know, do your classes. Don't skip skip school to play the latest video game that you're hooked into and work. You know, work when you get a little older is the same thing. 
you know, it's it's uh, those are important things. That's reality, and the people around you, your friends and family, and it's it's you know like seeing a movie or watching a TV show or playing a game. It's fun for an hour or two of a diversion, but just you know don't let it consume you. So there's uh, the Trex and Sci-Fi public announcement for the week. So let's move on with the big goodbye. Let's just talk about how how much fun this episode. Now this episode actually won some awards which for Star Trek is rather unusual. It won a uh, costuming Emmy the year it was out, or whenever they do the Emmys for that season. I think they do it in the fall for the previous season. So it did win an Emmy for the costumes, and it won a... uh, I'm just looking in a guidebook that I have. It won a... uh, It's called the George Foster Peabody Award for Best of Best Award for the first uh, in an hour-long first one first run drama i'm not really familiar with that what that award is or what it means but hey it's an award so this uh even though tv guide at the time and in some people's uh, reviews of this episode thought it was a little uh derivative and too much like the original series episode a piece of the action you know where they go to the planet and it's like the 1940s and 50s gangster style now that's true but it's a whole different situation going on you know this episode is set on the on the holodeck on the enterprise not on a planet and they don't. Uh, there, there's more to it than than just the gangsters and and that. There's more. There's ideas of existence. What it means to exist. You know, can a computer generated character, you know, know it's real or or whatever? And, they, and we'll talk about that more in a few minutes. But I'm going to now just play a uh, one little audio near the beginning of it where uh, Captain Picard is is basically doing a little captain's log and first entering the uh, Dixon Hill uh, holodeck program. So listen to this clip. Program desired location. Earth, United States, San Francisco, California. Time period. 1941. A.D. File or access code. File Dixon Hill. Private detective. Enter when ready. Captain's personal log. I'm entering the ship's holodeck where images of reality can be created by our computer. Highly useful in crew training. Highly enjoyable when used for games and recreation. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the funny things at the beginning of this episode is Picard goes on to the uh, into the Dixon Hill program on the holodeck, and he's still in his uh, his red uh, and black Starfleet uniform. And one of the characters on the holodeck, they kind of chuckle and. And say, hey, you know, what's up with the bellboy uh, uh, outfit, dicks, and what, what's going on there? I think that was pretty funny. You know, that's it's kind of interesting. The holodeck can create the characters, the setting, uh, the look, all the objects, and things there. But when you walk onto it from, you know, the the corridor on the Enterprise into the holodeck, you know, your your clothing, you need to change into appropriate clothing, which of course they eventually do when they go uh, go on the holodeck uh, later in the episode. Picard and Dr. Crusher and, and Commander Data. So so that's kind of neat. You know, it's the holodeck doesn't doesn't immediately, although I think maybe did they do that? I'm trying to recall if they were able to change their costuming uh, on the holodeck at, at one time in another one of them. I think maybe they could. I guess you could have the holodeck create costumes there, and you could put those on, although when you walked off the holodeck, you would be naked, I think. So I, get, I guess that's uh, the reasoning behind that. Never really thought about that too much before. So... An interesting character point here is, you know, you, you get a little more insight into Captain Picard's character. He's, uh, you know, he's this very uh, diplomatic and kind of stern 
captain, especially in the early years of the next generation. And you don't see him as maybe being a character that would want to have fun like in this way, go on a holodeck. And but he gets really uh, excited about this situation. And and this is also you know this program was created because he's a fan of the uh, sort of this uh, this pulp fiction detective stories from this era that were written and he read i guess a series series of these books about this character this private detective called dixon hill and that's the character of course that he's playing when he goes into this uh, holodeck uh, fantasy world so that's a nice little tidbit or insight into picard's character and i've got a little audio clip for uh for that that i'll play for you now this is after his first little trip into the holodeck and you, you get the idea, you know, it's the, the kind of interesting twist about this is that you almost get the idea that Picard isn't really all that familiar with what the holodeck can do because although maybe he's just mostly excited about the Dixon Hill program, he's used the holodeck more for, like he says, training purposes and, you know, maybe to sit on a beach somewhere. But, you know, the whole Dixon Hill fantasy world is, is pretty involved. It's more than just uh, creating a little sunset for you to look at or... or uh, or something like that. So let's uh, listen to uh, Captain Picard telling some of his officers about his his first trip on the holodeck into the world of uh, Dixon Hill. When I looked down into the street, I actually saw automobiles. Automobiles? Mm -hmm. An ancient Earth device used primarily for transportation. Ah. Also seen as a source of status and virility. Often a prime ingredient in teenage mating rituals. Teenage mating rituals? From that window, I could see an entire, um, uh, city block. That's right. Sounds, smells. You make it sound so real. Well, that's how it felt. Incredible. Hmm? Oh. Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to go again. Only this time, I'm going to dress the part. Why not come with me? Yes, I'd like that. I want to take that uh, 20th century historian. Um... Who, Whalen? Yes, Whalen. I bet he knows more about Dixon Hill than I do. Shall I tell him, sir? Invite him, Mr. Data. This is supposed to be a recreational activity. The sense of reality was absolutely incredible. When that woman kissed me, it was so... Exciting? Real. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good scene there. It's it's really easy to see how excited Captain Picard is. I, I was listening to that clip again, and I just just something new occurred to me about it. You know, when when Picard first goes on the on the holodeck before that scene, one of the uh, women characters on the holodeck kisses him, and her you know that you kind of hear it in that clip. He ends up with this lipstick all over his face from that kiss. And then when he leaves the holodeck, the lipstick is still on his face. So that's, uh, hmm, I wonder how you explain that one. I don't know. The, the idea, I guess, with some of the stuff on the holodeck is that it's, it is created and that maybe when you leave with it, you can take it with you. I think there was a, if I remember correctly, in the in a scene, there was a scene in the pilot episode Encounter at Farpoint of Next Generation where that uh, I think it's Wesley and Riker are on the holodeck and Wesley gets wet. He falls into some kind of a pool or something like that. 
but when he walks off the holodeck, I think he's still wet, if I remember correct again. I'll have to look at that again and find out if that's right. So there are things that happen in, in, on the holodeck that can you know, do things to you. If you get wet there, you come out, you're wet. If your hair gets blown around, it's blown around. If you get kissed, I guess there's there could still be lipstick on your lips. So that's uh, that's kind of interesting. I'd have to uh, look at more of those and see what what the deal is with all that. But it's still fun. And Captain Picard is now inviting you know this historian Whalen character. Uh, Data eventually, of course, joins Picard on the holodeck, pretending that he's somebody from South America, which you know with his funny gold white kind of skin that he has, which sort of. Uh, is similar to, you know, how they try to explain Spock and City on the Edge of Forever to the uh, policeman about that he was Chinese or something like that. And um, Dr. Crusher, of course, there, she's kind of excited to go on the holodeck with Captain Picard. I think she wanted to be there uh, on the holodeck alone with him. But the, the fun thing about this one, again, another thing that I, I like is that more of the crew is involved. You see a lot more of Dr. Crusher. You know, Data's always been a pretty popular character, but there's more things going on. I, I really enjoy the stories where they use the crew a little bit more fully, that it's not just a, a Kirk story or it's not just a Picard story or things like that. So that those are the kind of stories that I really like, and, and this is one of those. So let's go on with, uh, with the discussion here a little bit. I'm going to now play, I think I'm going to slide in right at this point. I have another comment from uh, my uh, listener, Kenny, and this is his take on the episode, The Big Goodbye. So I thought I'll slide this in to sort of split up the uh, my discussion, my straightforward discussion of the episode. So I'm going to slide in Kenny's comment right now. Hey, Rico. This is Kenny from California. Just putting my two cents in on the Next Generation episode, The Big Goodbye. This episode was the first of many malfunctioning holodeck episodes that they sprinkled throughout the entire seven seasons. This is also, I think, the second time that we see Picard portraying Dixon Hill. Uh, The thing that's different is that he invites Dr. Crusher and Data to come along. This was a fun episode, watching Data get into character, uh, Beverly imitating the woman putting on makeup, and then watching her face as she's chewing gum. Just some real funny stuff happened in this episode. I think one reason why I enjoy the Dixon Hill episode so much is that, you know, it's it's Patrick Stewart playing Jean-Luc Picard playing Dixon Hill. So I just find that interesting that, you know, it's an actor playing a character who's playing a character. Another part of the story is Wesley Crusher coming to the rescue. Um, And I know they play that a lot in uh, future episodes. Uh, but I always enjoyed Wesley Crusher's character, so uh, it never really bothered me. The Big Goodbye was one of those episodes that had a, a good blend of comedy and drama, which made it uh, very enjoyable. Well, thanks very much for that uh, great set of comments there on the episode, Kenny. Uh, I really uh, really like what you had to say. I really agree with it. Uh, it is fun to see. I didn't think about that before, you know, where you know Patrick Stewart is playing Captain Picard playing Dixon Hill that that's an interesting thing and and one of the things you notice about that is that he's really not that good at it he's trying to pretend to be at least at first in the episode that you know Picard isn't really that great an actor in other words him trying to go on the holodeck and pretending to be this other character 
he's not really all that great at it at first. He's a little rough. He, he, he doesn't understand the period as well as maybe you would think, especially as he, if he's read a lot of these stories. So he's a little rusty at it. Actually, Data, you know, since he sits down at one point in the episode and he reads basically the whole collected works of all these of all these stories, he knows a little bit more about the time period and retains it a little bit better maybe than uh, than Captain Picard. So that that's kind of interesting. I like that. Uh, he's got some of the mannerisms and some of the phrases down. Uh, Data does, and Brent Spiner is is, is a big comedian in. in in reality i mean he's he's a funny guy and to see him let loose a little bit like this in the episode is is fun also and the uh the beverly crusher parts like you said the makeup the chewing gum i noticed when i watched this again that she uh the guy offers her a piece of gum and she chews it and she thinks it's like candy or food and you actually see her swallow it like immediately she doesn't chew it so i guess by the 24th century chewing gum is not not really around anymore for some reason which uh which I find a little bit difficult to believe. I think chewing gum is going to be around a good long time. I think there are even evidences of, in, in very ancient times, people chewing on something, you know, gum, tobacco, a piece of root, or things like that. So uh, I have a hard time buying in, in, you know, even a few hundred years that chewing gum will be gone. But anyway, enough about chewing gum. So let's move on with the, the episode. Now, the next clip, I'm going to move along quite a bit. I didn't collect as many maybe audio comments or clips out of this episode. It was difficult to really find some good ones that would tell you something about the story and and move it along and I thought um but I thought this one was good. This is when you get to the real um probably about the middle of midway of the episode. They're on the uh, in Dixon Hills his offices and being confronted by a gunman and listen to this clip. I suppose a few moments longer. I'm afraid I can't help you, Mr. Leach. The game is over. I assure you, this is not a game. Take it from me, Leach. You'll never find it. Now, give me the gun. You see that the uh, the safety protocols that they've talked about in the holodeck aren't really working there. That uh, that Whalen character, the historian, gets shot by that gunman in Dixon Hill's office. So they know something is not right at that point in time. the uh, The interesting thing is is that at first they don't really know what to do. They're reacting. Uh, Doctor Crusher actually applauds when the guy gets shot, and I think she's more or less applauding that Whalen falls down from the shooting. Not that she expects blood to start coming out of him and, and for him to actually be hurt. So that's uh, that's a very interesting point there. And, of course, you know, there has been some kind of probe that happened to the Enterprise. You know, it's one of those little, of course, some alien thing came through and disrupted the computer circuits just when they're on the holodeck and it locks them down. Basically, they can't get them out of there and that it's whatever happens in there is actually going to stick. It's going to be real. And, of course, that's uh, that's a problem. So then Jordy and, and Wesley are trying to get them out of the holodeck. And all, all the while, I didn't mention yet, 
the other sort of side story in a way that the Dixon Hill story is the main thing in this episode. But the side thing is, is there's this alien insect type race called the Jurata or Hurata that Captain Picard has to perform a very specific uh, greeting with because they're a very, um, let's say, specific race that it, you they're trying to open like sort of negotiation and relations with these. And he's been studying this language of theirs in order to to greet them when they first go to their planet. But, of course, Picard can't do that because he's stuck on the holodeck in this Dixon Hill program. So that's the side story. And near the beginning of the episode, you know, Counselor Troy is is training Picard in the languages and trying, and then the whole thing that starts the Dixon Hill thing or the idea is that Picard's been studying this thing really a lot and he needs a break so that uh, Troy suggests he go play around in the holodeck for a little while, so... So that's that situation. Now they're stuck, and they got to fi- figure out a way to get out. The the other main topic or the main thrust or ideas of in, in posed in this episode is that eventually, what happens is the holodeck characters slowly sort of become almost self aware. They start to ponder, you know, are they real? Are they not real? Because Picard, because they're stuck in there. He explains kind of the situation to them. And when they do get access to the what's called the arch and the computer again, and they open a corridor or a, a hole or a doorway, I should say, to get back into the corridor on the Enterprise, the holodeck characters, he, he kind of says, hey, there's riches, riches beyond your wildest dreams right outside in that weird-looking place. And he gets the main characters, the, the main bad guys, to to try that out, and listen to the uh, you'll you'll get a sense of that in this next uh, this next clip. This is about a minute and a half long. This audio here, but this is after Picard uh, encourages them to uh, explore outside of their world a little bit. So listen to this clip. Can one enter your world and return to this one simply by stepping through? Oh yes. Allow us to help, Mr. Whalen, and we will return with the item. <laughs> you really are a scamp, aren't you? Do you actually think I'd stay here you and wait? You are going to go through yourself, sir. That is not possible. One look at you, sir, is proof that anything is possible. Step aside, Mr. Hill. I'd shoot you myself. But I don't want to deprive my assistant of his greatest pleasure. <laughs> After we're gone, kill them all. Make sure the bodies are never found. You're insane. You think you can kill a cop and get away with it? Why not? I've done it before. Come on, Mr. Leach. Au revoir. And bon chance, mon ami. Our destiny awaits. Another world, a whole new world of plunder. What is this? What are they doing? They can't do this to me. Don't they know who I am? I'm Cyrus Redblock. Cyrus Redblock. So what happens there in that scene? It's a little hard to tell in the audio, but they the couple characters walk out onto the slightly into the corridor on the Enterprise. And the idea is that I think that the 
the force fields and computer can create them out into that area to just a small point, you know, a few feet. But when they move out there far enough that they can't, it, the these light emitters and force field emitters that create the, the way they look and act and all that, from the computer on the holodeck, they, they can't reach that far. And then they just slowly disappear, almost like, looking like they're being transported away. They dissolve. And they, they also become sort of aware that that's happening to them. It's a good little scene there. And you get a really good sense that these, these characters are have almost become sort of real and that they don't want to go away. And, you know, the, do they go away when they turn off the holodeck? That's an interesting idea. But um, that's, uh, that's about it. Oh, I want to play one more clip. There's a clip near the very end. This is where uh, I thought it was kind of fun. Picard has to give his weird little alien greeting to the Jurata or Harada, or however you say this uh, alien race. And then I'll come back uh, after that clip and, and wrap up uh, a couple last comments about this episode. Open hailing frequencies. Frequencies open, sir. This is Jean-Luc Picard, captain of the Enterprise. Ad klaxon ris blaj blanarnik karnik. Ad trasulah. You have honored us with your words of greeting. A new day dawns between us. Okay, so there, there you have the uh, the weird alien greeting from Captain Picard at the end of the episode. The one thing, lastly, I wanted to mention about the holodeck in general, the the sets and stuff that they built for Dixon Hill did end up just on one little soundstage area. So people always seem to have a problem with the holodeck and how much stuff they see, and that it would fit into a little room that they walk into. You know, when you first see the holodeck, sometimes on the Enterprise, they show you that little black with, with yellow grid line kind of room, and and people always say, hey, how could they fit everything in there? The The way it's supposed to work, the way I've always heard it being explained and, and understood, is that it, it doesn't have everything created at once. It slowly moves you around throughout it. For example, like Picard is in like the police station at one point in this episode, and he's in Dixon Hill's office, they're out on the street. Well... All that stuff doesn't exist at the same time. What it does, what the what the holodeck does, is it creates, like, say you're in Dixon Hill's office, and as they move away from the office out onto the street, the, the, the office is, is basically vanishes. The office isn't there anymore behind them, and it twists them around and uses that space to then create, like, the police station or more of the street and so on. So it's using that space but just rearranging things and reshifting it as it needs it. Now, obviously, it would be difficult. Uh, I think on an episode of Deep Space Nine, they created like a whole baseball field in a hollow suite. Although, you know, where you're standing and that area around it may be existing, maybe not all the rest of it is. Maybe it's just, you know, your visual impression that it's there, you know, the 300 feet away where the where the fence is in the in the ballpark or whatever is not really there it's just a it's just almost like a photograph of it but anyway that's maybe a little more deep than i wanted to go but the 
just keep in mind that's that's the at least concept and ideas that I've always heard that it's not really creating everything that you're seeing all at the same time. It only creates a small portion of it for what you really need for where you're actually at at that one point in time. So there you have the episode, the big goodbye, next generation episode. A lot of fun, kind of a little comedy, a little mystery, a little technology, and it gets to use uh, three or four uh, of the crew pretty well that you don't get to see a lot more uh, of them a lot of times in the episode, especially Dr. Crusher. Data gets used uh, pretty often, but I really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun and liked liked going through the episode again with you guys. So that's it, and I'm going to take a quick break now. We're going to come back and talk about Toy Fair, uh, a big New York Toy Fair with a big snowstorm last week. Talk about a few things that I've seen uh, that were revealed in that, and I'm going to talk about the collectible this week, which is a, uh, a little thing that I built actually myself out of a few tutorials and parts that I found so stay tuned be right back this show is part of the out of this world entertainment on the sci-fi podcast network tsfpn.com all right I'm back Uh, last week they had uh, the annual uh, toy fair in New York and I thought I'd mention a few things about it I'm going to put some links in the podcast notes about this rebelscum.com always does a really good job of covering this event with lots of photographs stories and things there are several um, great uh, new products coming out Uh, one one set of series of products of statues and busts and things are from the company Gentle Giant. You know they've been doing a lot of Star Wars items over the last uh, several several years now, and they have uh, a lot of good new things coming out. They're doing some animated style looking statues from the original Star Wars trilogy, along with continuing their line uh, from the prequels and from the Clone Wars. So th- those look really nice and. Again, I'll link some of this stuff up in the podcast notes. On the Star Trek line, uh, Art Asylum still is continuing to produce Star Trek action figures, which the likenesses on these characters are are really amazing. I really like the what they're doing. They're doing some of the lesser-known characters, some things from like the uh, final episode of Next Generation, All Good Things. They're doing some more mirror-mirror-type characters, uh, Kirk in his chair... In the, from the original series on the bridge and a lot of good stuff they're doing uh i think another enterprise ship and it looks it's looking really good i really like what i'm seeing they've got uh some buffy figures also that they're putting out uh, i'm just looking at the pictures online here while i'm talking to you there are uh lots of good things a lot of marvel universe if you're into comic books which i also enjoy there's a lot of good stuff coming out on that front and uh, oh, further on the Star Wars line, Sideshow Toys, which I've talked about before, they're doing a uh, doing a whole new line of 12-inch action figures. They've already had pre-orders go out for like the first five or six of those. They're usually in like the fifty to sixty dollar range for these figures. They should start coming out soon with uh, with one every few months. But the pre-orders are are going through their website, and they've really been selling out of these these figures and i think they're going to really look good the the prototypes that i've seen look really nice of these so if you're into collecting for the next year uh maybe uh <laughs> your wallet's going to be a lot lighter i know mine will be the uh the the stuff that's coming out you know you would have thought with star wars being gone no no star trek series currently 
that there wouldn't be that much product coming out. But it actually looks like there's there's even more than than ever almost. Well, maybe not as much with the Star Wars line as last year with the new movie, but they're still coming out with more and more stuff. Uh, the company that I've talked about quite a bit, Master Replicas, has a really cool item. Actually, it's going on for up for pre-sale this coming week. It's a Darth Maul uh, Force FX lightsaber that actually comes in two parts that can split into two separate sabers to show you, you know, the the way it looked at the end of the Phantom Menace. And each of these has got a, you know, a, a light up blade and sound effects, but they can be operated independently, or you can link them together and operate them as a dual bladed, you know, staff type lightsaber like uh, Darth Maul did in the end of uh, Episode One, which is it's a really it really looks cool, and I, I'm really excited by that piece. Of course, because it's basically two Force FX lightsabers, two and two of them, you can buy them, uh, I think, uh, separately, and but they're still like $100 each. So it's it's not a cheap thing, but together they, they'll make a pretty impressive uh, piece. So that's, that's a really neat idea. I think uh, people have been really clamoring and, and hoping that they would uh, do something like that, and they finally listened. And that's a nice thing about these companies, Sideshow, Sideshow Toys, Master Replicas. I belong to a couple of forums. Uh, the Replica Prop Forum is one. Rebelscum.com has a set of forums. And the people that run these companies, these replica companies, they're really listening to the fans, what they'd like to see, what, they, what they've got a problem with. What they, you know, If there's an issue with something that they've made, they're usually watching those things and will take care of you. And, and that's nice. It's, it's really good customer relations, and they really listen to their, their customer base. And and I think that's important these days. I mean, you know, a lot of companies are having hard times, and certainly companies that are basically counting on you to spend a lot of, you know, your money with them and money that, that's your entertainment in a way and your disposable income, I think they that it's important for them to keep keep the customer happy. You know, the customer is always right, that kind of thing. And I, I really, really am grateful that they, they listen to us and, and a lot of the ideas I know, well, a lot of the people actually, some of the real experts on these forums, they will hire them to, to do um, prototypes, to get them information about a piece. You know, a lot of the Star Wars and Star Trek items over the years, until these companies came along to produce some real high-end product, they these items had been studied, you know, in, in huge amount of detail with capturing footage and detail off of, off of videos and and examined over and over again by by a lot of people and a lot of work had been put into trying to replicate these items already so when it came time to do them like master replicas for example is going to do a studio scale it's about a 30 inch 32 inch model of the millennium falcon from star wars but there are people out there who know every little detail of the falcon every little piece that's on that ship you know when the model was created originally for the first star wars film what these guys basically did is they took a basic shape and a basic idea of that model, and then they did what something what's known as cannibalizing model kits. They took a lot of tank model kits and other you know planes and, and just anything they could get a hold of and took little bits and pieces off of these old plastic model kits and glued little bits of those on the hull of the Millennium Falcon to give it its really unique sort of beat-up look. But believe it or not, every one of those little parts on there slowly over the years has been discovered. You know, it came from kit this, and, and it, it looks like this, and it's this shape, and it this painted this color, and all that. So when they, you know, a company like Master Replicas comes along and decides to do one of these pieces, 
there's just a huge wealth of information out there, and they'd be really silly to try to reinvent the wheel and and to not utilize these people that are experts on these things. That you know, they're they're more experts in these models and pieces than George Lucas or anyone at Industrial Light and Magic really is, or at least currently. Believe it or not, uh, you know, fandom can get a little fanatic. I mean, that's where the word comes from, and there are definitely people out there who know more about these things that, than people actually working for those companies. So it's uh, it's good that they utilize that talent. So that's enough about uh, Toy Fair. Lots of good photos out on the web. Uh, I will, again, like I said, link these up in the podcast notes. Check them out. Uh, most of these products should be out sometime this year. Uh, a lot of new lightsabers and Star Wars items for Master Replicas are coming. They're going to, I think I've mentioned before, they're going to put out a lower price collector's edition lightsaber for a lot of the, the pieces. Should be around the 100 to $150 maybe range if you get a good price on it. So that that's nice. It won't be quite as expensive as the other ones they've done. And, uh, and more good stuff. Now the um, the replica that I was going to talk about this week, I was, I was kind of going back and forth between a few different items, but I settled on uh, uh, this... Um, it's it's a pad, which is a, it's it's a light up piece, and it's something that I made out, out of uh, what's known as a it, the company's called Cabin, and they make these Cabin light boxes. And I will try to find some links to that site. And I think I used an online tutorial from someone, uh, a guy named Matt Munson, who's on the Replica Prop Forum, who first devised these things. These were basically um, the little data pads that the Enterprise crew. On the final, uh, on the Star Trek Enterprise series, so it's from that series that they would carry around, you know, and they would look up information on them. Uh, they were supposed to have crew rosters, technical information, and data on them. But what they did uh, to make it easy for themselves, what what the you know the prop people did on Enterprise was they took these light boxes, and it's nothing more than really a, a little tiny, tiny little fluorescent tube with a couple of batteries in a, in a pad-shaped container box. And what it's meant for is like laying a slide on it or a clear transparency in order to get a better look at it. And they, they took these in there. They're in a, I guess the, the size of it's maybe four or five inches by six or seven inches, roughly, something like that. But they took those and they just added graphics to the to the front and they already were battery powered and would light up and it was a real easy way for them to make a prop out of a $50 uh, little light box item, which I thought was really cool and it, it just uh, it worked out real well. And the nice thing about it is because it was made out of what's known as like a known world item, you can easily make one of these things for yourself. Now if you've got the ability to create a, a transparency, usually most uh, inkjet printers these days you can buy special transparency paper you make a little graphic in something like adobe or paint shop or something on your computer and you can print one of these transparencies out of any little graphic that you want to create you just have to size it right which is what i did to make it fit into the light box and the nice thing about it is is if you take the screws off the back of it you can change that uh the way that light box looks you know you can slide different graphics in there so you have one prop that maybe shows, uh, the way mine shows currently is the, is the ship, the Enterprise ship, the graphic is on there. But you can, you know, put a crew roster, make a graphic for that, and slide in a new di- different transparency and have a different sort of prop. Or you can get two or three of these little light boxes and make two or three different ones. Now, all I really did was disassemble the thing, took the, took the front uh, frosted plastic plate off, and it comes it comes apart real easy with screws on the back, and then I painted the shell to match a little closer to the way they looked on the on the um, 
on Enterprise and then add a few little doodads to the back. They had these little strips, these little plastic backing strips that, that were on them and painted it, reassembled it, slide, you know, slide the transparency in and you're done. It's, it's a real fun little kit. You can easily do it in a weekend. Just buy a couple of cans of spray paint of, of a kind of a, I think I painted mine. It's kind of a, yeah, a slightly metallic dark gray kind of color. It's difficult to see in the photos. I'll put that in the podcast notes for you to take a look. It's also in the collection section on the website. But I, I really like the way it came out. I, I, I keep telling myself I want to pick up a couple more light boxes and make a couple other different ones of this this prop. But it's a, it's a fun little piece, and it's something that you can easily do with your with your hands, even without not a lot of uh, you know real technical ability. It doesn't take a lot of skill to do this. You know, you can just spray paint the pieces, put it back together. I, I recommend you know you kind of rough it up, sand it up first before you then lay down maybe a, a light layer of some kind of primer spray paint and then paint it your final color after that. It'll, the paint will stick better and work out better for you. So so that's the uh, the Enterprise pad piece from, uh, from what I made, and hopefully maybe anyone out there that's interested will be able to make one too now. So, again, link's in the show notes, and you should be able to find out more information that way. I'm going to take just a real, real quick break here and then come back, wrap things up, and tell you preview uh, the next week's podcast. Oh, we got to do our contest too. I know you've all been waiting for that, so we're going to come back with that. Hang on. Accessing library computer data. Ready. Okay, I'm back. Uh, we we got a good response to the uh, the the trivia contest from last week. I have probably I had about a half a dozen people. Yeah, it's I got six names written down of of the people that got the answer correctly. What I'm going to do, I was going to have someone draw a name, but I've written these all the people who got the answer correct to the. You know, remember the trivia uh, question was here. Let's go back. Trivia question was, what do these three people have in common? And not just that they all worked on Star Trek. The three people were Gene Roddenberry, James Doohan, or Doohan, um, and Michael Dorn, who played Worf. The correct answer, of course, is that all three of these guys uh, are or were uh, pilots. Uh, both Gene, Gene Roddenberry was a, a commercial airline pilot for a period of time, and Jimmy Dewan was uh, flew in uh, World War II uh, with the Canadian Flyers, and Michael Dorn is um, currently still is uh, a private pilot. So that's the answer I was looking for that they were all pilots. Now what I did is I wrote a number by each of the people that had the correct answer on a piece of paper, and I'm going to roll uh, my uh, my handy dice from my role playing times, and the guy the number i got number three who is uh joe i'm not sure if joe if i'm pronouncing your last name correct reman r-e-i-h-m-a-n you are our winner of the sand trooper star wars figure joe so congratulations i will ship that off to you once you send an email with your address and and all that good stuff to me at treksf at gmail.com joe send me your uh your address i'll give you a week to do that uh, hopefully you're listening to this podcast but uh, if you don't, I will have to go to uh, one of the other people. So, Joe, I'm sure you're listening, and just send me your contact information, and I'll ship off the uh, Sand Trooper figure. So congratulations. Now, I'm going to wrap this up real quick, running out of time. At first, I thought this was going to be a shorter show, but now it's turning into about the average of all the shows. So, and there you go. I just like talking, I guess. 
a couple things here again. Wednesday, minicast probably will be up this week. Next week's show, the, the episode for Star Trek that I'm going to do next week is a, an original TOS episode, The Enemy Within. Been meaning to do this episode for a while. There, there's This, to me, is, is, is a really classic classic tale. You know, the good, evil Kirk sides to him. The transporter mishap. Uh, a lot of good stuff in that episode. So, The Enemy Within will be next, uh, next weekend's episode. Now, what I wanted to mention, though, is... For next week's contest, we're going to do a contest again. Now, this one is, in a way, a lot easier and maybe, in a way, more difficult. What I am asking for for next by next weekend show, and we'll say by next Saturday evening because I do these shows Sunday morning, I want uh, everyone out there that's listening, whoever would like to be in on this contest, to email me an audio comment on, on what their favorite Star Trek episode is from all the series. And I want to keep the comments to about a minute. So, you know, maybe a minute, a little bit longer, more or less. I won't, I'm not going to cut you off or anything like that. But keep them kind of short, to the point. Just just tell me what your favorite episode is and why. And, you know, kind of mention your name briefly or whatever. Whatever you'd like to do. And send those audio comments. You can record them and then send them through email to treksf at gmail.com. Or you can just use the voicemail line, which is 206-88-TREX. If you can't uh, access um, in any kind of audio recording software, just uh, do a voicemail. And, and by next Saturday, I will take, uh, and there's no correct answer, of course, to this, whatever your favorite Star Trek episode is. But I'm going to take everyone that sends me an audio comment. We'll play those on next week's show. And then I will randomly pick one. And the, the winning item for next week is a Star Trek DVD. I have uh, in my collection an extra copy of now this isn't necessarily everyone's favorite star trek movie but hey it's going to be free so it's uh i have a dvd of star trek 5 the final frontier and that's the prize for next week's show and again send those audio comments in everyone that does send an audio comment in will have a chance to win i will just take everyone who does it and and again randomize and pick one one of the audio uh comment listener people blah 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 uh, excuse me, one of those people will win the, the DVD of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. So so that's the deal, gang, and i got to get out of here. i got to get this edited and get it up. So I hope you enjoyed this, this week's show, looking at the big goodbye, talking about a lot of toy fair and collectible stuff more than I usually do. Next week, uh, again, look for the show, a little mini show on Wednesday, and uh, the next weekend show will be on The Enemy Within. So until then, everyone, have a great week. Stay safe, stay healthy, and watch some sci-fi. Take care. Bye. Bye, everyone. This has been a Rick Dosti production. This podcast, copyright 2006, all rights reserved.